All right, welcome ladies and gentlemen to another episode of Tempered Leadership. I'm your host, Eric Rieger. And today I have the honor and pleasure of talking with my good friend, Eric Lazar of Speed Pro in the Chicago Loop. Eric, welcome to the show and how are you, my friend? Good, man. Thank you for having me. I appreciate the opportunity. Uh, it's my pleasure. And uh, every time we get together and have a chat, uh, I always come away pretty excited. Uh, you and I kind of have very similar uh, backgrounds, thought processes, and just, you know, kind of how we conduct ourselves and how we run businesses. So it's just, uh, you know, it's an honor to have you on and uh, share some of the wisdom that I'm sure you've learned over the years, and especially now through the challenges of the pandemic. Um, before we dive into any of that, though, I kind of like to start with origin stories. Um, your, your background, uh, we can trace it all the way back to the Marine Corps. And, you know, as we were talking a little bit before the show started, I'm sure the Marines gave you uh, maybe a few nuggets from a leadership perspective. So how'd you get into the Marines and uh, what, what did you learn from that experience? <laughs> uh, you know, it, it's something that's, that has stuck with me. You know, I've, I've been out, I guess November is going to be 34 years uh, ago that I, that I went in. Um, I served uh, five years active, three years reserve. Uh, what drove me in actually is because, you know, as a, at an early age, I realized that I wasn't a leader, um, you know, through, you know, late elementary school, junior high school, and even early high school, I was a fat kid um, who uh, really quit at whatever, uh, as soon as things got tough, I quit. I was uh, also the, the product of two very liberal Jewish educators, Northeast Jewish educators, we had three rules in the house, was don't drink and drive, don't lie, and don't defame the family name, which did not provide a whole lot of structure or discipline. Um, as a result, also not a whole lot of confidence. Um, so, you know, to me, is I, I, I recognize probably at the age of 15 or 16 that I probably needed more structure in my life in order to be successful. Um, you know, I was definitely a kid that was a follower, if I was even included in a group to follow with. Um, so I, you know, I, I knew I needed something more than myself. Um, and, you know, just some of those internal, you know, characteristic traits that never really developed as a, as a child. So that drove me to looking at the military. And then as I looked at the military, yeah, I assessed what was really going to be the toughest and the greatest challenge. And could I put myself, you know, through, through a test of that magnitude? and uh, give myself the tools that I thought I needed in order to be successful in life. And that's, that's interesting because you, you know, mentioned that there were, you know, some ground rules growing up, but, but not, nothing of real structure. And you were kind of craving that structure and, and wanting to get your life on track. So again, a consistent theme with, <clears throat> excuse me, everybody that I've had on the show so far is there's been this epiphany moment of, you know, realization that you need to change who you are to become the person you want to be. And so for you, it was the military. And, you know, so you joined up with the Marines and, you know, obviously they're, they're known for their structure. There's, there's not a lot of uh, leeway in terms no. <laughs> of creativity and systems, uh, you know, just making things up as you go. Um, did you find that extremely challenging to go from you know, what you were experiencing in life to that had to be a culture shock of magnitudes. Oh, I can't imagine. Oh, it was an entire paradigm change from how I was brought up. Uh, you know, even as a child, we were really allowed to, you know, live and die by, you know, the decisions that we made. Um, you know, my parents were certainly not a fan of the military. Um, however, you know, I went in when I was 17. 
I signed up for it when I was 17. And, you know, in order to go in before you're 18, you know, you need your parent's signature. Um, and so while they did not necessarily agree with the decision, they also, you know, they, it was an opportunity for them to be put to the test and see if they were going to sort of abide by the rules that they had given us and, and they signed for me. Um, so, you know, it, it, it was, you know, it was, it was certainly a very interesting change from how I had been brought up. It was, it was nothing that I had ever been exposed to, uh, that level of dis discipline, that level of structure. And, uh, you know, just wasn't part of, you know, the way we fought in the house and how we, we interacted with each other. It was, uh, it was a very informal environment that I grew up in. So once, once you got into the Marines, was there any uh, person or persons in particular that kind of took you under their wing? And, you know, because I, mean, I, I got to figure they're, they're, it's pretty evident when people come in, um, the, the, the culture shock, the, the, like you said, the paradigm shift. So was, was there any person or persons in particular that kind of identified, hey, this guy might need a little bit of, uh, you know, mentoring or special treatment or anything like that? Anybody who helped you along with your military career? Uh, you don't want to, yeah, special treatment, you know, special treatment <laughs> in the Marine Corps, uh, special treatment usually means, you know, an excess of discipline or harassment. Um, so I got a little bit of that is, uh, you know, and it was, you know, it wasn't like I was a wild child. It was just, you know, again, it, it probably didn't have necessarily the internal fortitude. Um, and I think everybody's treated relatively the same with, in the, the, you know, uh, the recruit training structure. Uh, it was after that, as I was getting, you know, groomed to be a leader, as I was going up the, the chain and not really understanding, I think probably my own lack of confidence um, at that time in Trump, you know, as you, you know, begin to obtain rank is you sort of rely on those stripes on your shoulder to, for people to respect you, but it, it certainly goes beyond that. So there were, there were people along the way that I was, as I obtained rank and became more visible within, you know, within the unit um, that were able to give me the mentorship, the guidance. Um, and some have been very, very profound. I mean, there, there are a few people that, uh, you know, are, again, 30 plus years later that I am, you know, greatly indebted to and that I remember for taking me aside and giving me some really, really strong lessons on how I had to adjust my behavior in order to earn respect of the the Marines that you know were were under my you know under my guidance, and I, I have to imagine that you know at some point you were you were shifting and changing as a person because you know everybody who goes in the Marines doesn't ascend into a leadership role. I mean, there's there's definitely a rank and file, and and you you mentioned you were you were kind of climbing the the food chain there. So, what was it internally like? how are you approaching it from a mental aspect that you, you went from this, you know, self-described undisciplined person, um, you know, sometimes people just break under that pressure and, and not everybody survives those types of situations. You know, I'm not talking necessarily life and death, but they just, they just can't hack it in that type of environment. So obviously you were able to adapt and change and grow, you know, what was it, or were there just, it, just a gradual change or was there, you know, some, some event that that really just kind of changed fundamentally who you were yeah, I thrived in it I mean I really I liked I like the spit and polish I like the uniform I like the aesthetics of it so you know those 
those are very important things. And those were very easy ways to shine because it was very visible. Um, where I struggled was, again, in leadership as, uh, you know, as I was, you know, getting promoted. And it wasn't like I ascended to any, you know, uh, esteemed rank. I, I left, you know, as a sergeant. But, you know, even within that sort of the, 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 the small unit structure is you've got, you know, five guys or seven guys or eight guys. Um, and then overall within the unit, just your, your rank, even people that weren't necessarily assigned to you is, you know, they, they still showed respect for the rank. Um, but there were, there was, you know, a particular time that, you know, as I sort of got into, you know, as I became a non-commissioned officer um, and had more responsibilities, I really relied on those corporal stripes uh, to, uh, you know, for I really counted on that for, you know, the reason that people respected me. And I was sort of an abusive guy. I was, I was, a, I was an abusive, I was a terrible leader. I was, I was, you know, I was young. Um, I think I picked up corporal at, you know, 19. Um, I wasn't ready. I hadn't really had the, you know, it was just a matter of sort of time and grade and not screwing up that I, you know, got to that, but I, I, I wasn't fit. Um, and, you know, there, I guess I, I sort of remember a very pivotal moment that, uh, that scared the hell out of me into learning what the traits of a good leader were. And not that I hadn't been exposed to it prior, um, I just wasn't able to embrace it or have the confidence enough to uh, incorporate it into my own style. And that's, that's something that you see, you know, a lot today is there's, you know, top-down leadership where a lot of times people follow out of fear you know, you, you, like you said, you're, you, you weren't necessarily the greatest quote unquote leader at the beginning. Uh, and then there's, there's the leader who, you know, people follow because they admire their traits. They, you know, they have compassion, they have empathy. Um, they're really in it for the people to, to help, you know, to me, the number one job of a leader is to build other leaders. You know, we've talked about that before on the show. Um, you know, we're, we're in this for however much time we're given on this planet. And then as we, you know, mature in our careers and, you know, the, the time we have left gets shorter and shorter, you know, what we do with our businesses and, and how we leave that legacy, you know, to me, part of it is, is, you know, I've, I've had talks with people about, you know, uh, uh, succession planning and things like that. And, if you look statistically, a lot of the companies that don't survive, you know, generational changes and things like that is they try to bring somebody in from the outside uh, into a culture that they didn't help build, they, they're not immersed in, and, you know, then everything just kind of shifts when, you know, the founder or the leader leaves. You know, talk to me a little bit about, you know, what that shift has been like for you, because obviously you figured it out. I mean, you know, the first time you and I talked, it was like talking to an old friend and somebody who just gets it, you know, we're, we're kind of aligned with our philosophies and, you know, we're, we're, we're just trying to do the best, you know, best possible thing we can for everybody every day. So what was the process? You know, you said you had that moment over the years, how have you developed your leadership style as you moved into, you did TV in New York, sales in the yeah. TV in, in that. So let's, let's kind of transition into that. So how did you start developing more of a leadership style through that into where you are today? Yeah, I, I struggled. I, it's a constant struggle. I mean, there, there are probably three or four occasions throughout my career in different things that I've done um, where I have had people take me aside and just say, your behavior is unacceptable. 
is I sort of, re, you know, I, I, for many, many years, I continually reverted to sort of the, the very safe lead by fear um, type of approach. Um, and probably because in some respects I was a little bit lost is that was, that was sort of the, the easiest thing to, to grasp onto um, when you're uncomfortable in your position and you're, or you're trying to assert yourself or you, you've been elevated to a position that you hadn't been in before. Um, I've been very fortunate to have mentors and leaders around me that were able to be candid um, and also firm and just say, again, this is, this is not acceptable. Uh, it's not acceptable behavior. So it's something that I continually grapple with and, you know, and struggle with um, is, you know, I look back and so you use the word legacy a little bit earlier. What's the legacy that I want to leave? I look back, you know, to, to 1991 when my father passed, who was a, a principal in a district, uh, school district. And, you know, I never really, he and I, you know, he died when I was 21 and he and I had a little bit of a challenging relationship. Um, I wouldn't say it was, a, you know, it, it wasn't a bad one, but it wasn't a, a great one um, because I, I didn't understand his style of leadership is I saw him as being soft. What I didn't really understand was sort of the, that it was, he was soft. It was sort of, you know, walk soft, but carry a big stick. Um, and to me, again, I think because of my own incompetency or ineptness or just, you know, just the, that I, that I hadn't developed enough, I saw that as a sign of weakness. But when it came to leaving a legacy, I, I also remember his funeral where there were 2,500 or 3,000 people standing room only, people that had come out for that he, when he was a camp counselor, um, that from, from 25 or 30 years back that had read his obituary in the paper and came to his funeral and the letters we got and the impact that he had as a leader, as a mentor. And that was, I would say that's one of the pivotal things. So even when I digress, I think back to the legacy that I want to leave and how do I want to impact people? How do I want people to think of me? Um, and that's sort of a, a, a guiding motivation for me. And I, again, it's like, sure, I, I fail along the ways and I revert back to, you know, a person that I do not want to be. Um, but I also look at that as, you know, one of those things that's sort of that, that grounding moment that I've got to reflect on. It's like, okay, this is, I, I want to be better. I want a legacy like his. There's so many good things you just said in there. It's like, I, I don't even know where to start from, from a nugget perspective, but um, you know, and again, we, we have some similarities in our background. So let's just kind of break it down a bit. You know, you talked uh, the importance of mentorship. It, it can't be overstated. You know, there's at least for, again, my perspective. And again, your perspective of having people who you have a comfortable enough relationship to where they can pull you aside and call you out on behaviors. And I've had the exact same thing where uh, I, I have a very close mentor. His name is Doug Diamond. He was a first guest on the show. You know, I wouldn't be here without the, the, the help and guidance that he provided. And when he started, you know, seeing that behavior and the, the scarring and damage I was doing to the, the, the team with my behaviors, he just relentlessly stayed on me for a year and a half about getting into therapy and getting my personal issues from my past taken care of so that I could, you know, learn to be a better leader. And, and you're right. It's, it's never like a switch flips and now all of a sudden you're a great leader. I think 
any any great leader will will be humble enough to say, yeah, it's a constant struggle every single day. To it's because it's so easy to revert to those behaviors, right? I it mean, that's the path of process. Yeah, it's the path of least resistance to yell at somebody when something's not right. I mean, yeah. it doesn't take any caring or any self control to just lash out at somebody when they're not doing, you know, if they let you down or they're not doing what you expect. But that's a reflection, you know, what I found is it's a reflection of, of my leadership ability to set people up for success. And when somebody's not hitting the bar, the first thing I do now is go back and go, okay, where was I not clear? How did I not, you know, set this person up? What, where, where did we fail in the communication? It's, it's a whole different mindset now. But you're right, it's, it is easy to slip back into those patterns, especially if you're not in your best mental state, if you're having a bad day or if you're having a bad week and, and things like that. So huge, huge, huge to have your inner circle or somebody that you can count on, somebody you can go to who will call you out on those things and help get you right-sized. And, you know, for, for me, it's Doug, uh, you know, and, and people such as yourself, like I know I could reach out at any time and you and I could have a chat and we can share that experience because we're in that position right now. And it's hard for somebody who's not quite, you know, either running an organization or, or have the experience to relate. They can maybe sympathize or empathize with you, but personally, they just maybe not quite getting the, the full weight of the experience. So that's, that's kind of a, a, a really important thing, I think, from a leadership perspective. Another point you brought up from legacy that was, you know, you and I had an extremely similar experience. My dad passed away in 2013 and he was a truck driver. So, you know, you don't necessarily look at truck drivers, you know, and I'm stereotyping, but, you know, in the, in the grand scheme of things, when people start talking about leaders, you know, in the pantheon of leadership, there's not a lot of truck drivers that come to mind as, as the first, you know, first thought people have. But my dad was always a person where, you know, early on, I didn't have a good relationship with him all because he was gone six days out of the week. So he was basically not there. And the day he was home, he had to fix his truck, pay the bills, deal with my mother, you know, and that's a whole other situation. And then he would just leave again. And so, you know, there was this broken broken part of our relationship, you know, for the longest time. And then as he got older and had some health issues and he wasn't working as much and we connected, but I always remembered he, he had this standard. He wore a uniform, he had the American flag patch on it. He had his name sewed in it. So, I mean, he dressed the part that he, you know, he dressed for the job he wanted and he thought I'm a transportation engineer. He always referred to himself as that. Like I, I make things move around the country without me, without our, you know, our services, this country comes to a, a halt. And he took that with, he, he, he acted with a lot of pride in his work and that, that was instilled at me at an early age. He tried to be an entrepreneur. He failed miserably. He went bankrupt from it, but he gave it his best. I mean, he didn't, he never graduated high school, so he didn't have any business training. He didn't have any business sense, but he had determination. Nothing was going to stop him. And so all the years he was doing that and going around the country, he made these connections with people because he was a good person. And he always believed in doing the job. If you're going to do a job, you do it right and you do it to its finish. And when he passed away, it was the same thing. The, the, the wake was eight plus hours and the lot, like the line didn't stop. 
I mean, it just was out the door. The whole thing was, and I'm, my mom and I were standing there and we're like, who are, like, we didn't know 95% of the people that were there. And they just, they came from all over the country when they heard he passed away. And every single one of them had a story about how he touched them. And I was like, I could live to be 150 and I'm, not, I'm never going to have this kind of impact across the country like he did. And I went, well, wait a minute, maybe I can you know, so that was kind of the, the, that, that legacy wake up call of, you know, it's not about how big you build the company, how much money you make, you know, it's about the lives you touch. And so that really started changing my perspective on how I conducted myself and, and how I wanted to structure the business. So thanks for sharing that. I mean, that's, that's, you know, those are, it's unfortunate circumstances that, you know, when we lose people that we're close to and that we love, but I mean, it can have such a profound impact and change on the direction of your life. Um, you know, if you're going through it right at the moment, you may not see it, but then after time, it's like, man, that can have more impact on you than anything else in your life. You know, without sounding callous, I would tell you his death in some ways may have been the best thing that ever happened to me. Um, you know, be because I, I, I learned to appreciate the value of, of touching people and impacting people and the legacy. And it doesn't mean, again, that I've been faultless through that time. I've had, I've had you know, tremendous transgressions, digressions. Um, but it's not like I've forgotten about that or that I don't look back on it or try to clutch to it. Um, so, you know, I, I think if if that had not had happened, I don't know if I would have evolved as I have, which, you know, and I, and I certainly believe I've evolved and there's still a long way to grow. And it's, it's a, it's a path and it's a journey, but I think I took a, a, a huge step um, as a result, which I, I probably, I don't even know if I would have been able to recognize even to this point, um, had that not happened to me at that, at, at that, you know, at that time in my life. And I, I think that's, that's the, the gift that, that we're both giving at this point is that there may be people out there listening right now whose parents are still with them. And this might be the take a step back and look at what they're doing. You know, if you've got good relationship and you've got good parents, obviously this doesn't apply to everybody in every situation, but this might be a chance for other people to, to reevaluate their relationship with their parents and what they're done and look at it from a different lens and who knows where, you know, what that does for them. But yeah, you're, I, I, I totally get that too, because it wasn't until the last couple of years, you know, my dad was unfortunately diagnosed with cancer and we had a four year journey with that. But, you know, again, I, I totally relate to what you're saying about, you know, not, not trying to sound callous, but it, it was, it, it did have a, a an, an important impact on myself. And I can, I can totally relate to what, what you're explaining there. So, you know, again, and that's, that's two two characteristics of a leadership that you, you're you're exhibiting is is humility and transparency. Like you're you're humble enough to say, you know, I need to get better all the time. It's a constant struggle. And here's my story. I'm willing to share my faults with you and and part of that journey. So, to, I mean, to me, that's that's part of what leadership's all about. Because if you don't have those characteristics, you, you it just becomes that top down, do as I say, and don't question me. Yeah. And, you know, I think one of the, the, the best stories that I could, you know, that I think is relevant and again, sort of the lens that I look through life now with is, you know, he died of cancer. It was about a seven month battle and approximately two weeks before he died, he was in the hospital 
and he and I were alone. And I simply asked him is, could you have had a better son? Could have I been a better son? And he looked at me and probably a question that you don't ask an honest man is he said, yes, but a better son would have had a better father. And it's how, it's how I look at all of my relationships is, you know, one, it, it gave me, you know, sort of amnesty from my responsibility while, you know, and he accepted his, or that there was joint responsibility. Um, and even for me as a young, you know, at a young age, as a, you know, boy, as a teenager, as a young man, uh, but it's how I look at all of my relationships is, you know, could have I been a better friend? Yes, but a better friend would have had a better friend or whatever, whatever that might be. So it, it, it's just, it's, it's my, it's my view of the relationships. And then, so I always want to, you know, I always have to accept my responsibility and that's how I look at leadership also is, you know, could you have been a better team member? Sure. But a better team member would have had a better leader. Um, so I, I, you know, again, it's got applications to so much. And so that's really how, that's sort of how I, that's, that's how I view life. It's, 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 it's through those glasses of, of just that moment in time. And yeah, that's, I mean, it's, it, it's, it's part of the journey. And that's, again, you just, you just nailed it. That's to me, that's one of the prime characteristics of leadership is, you know, that humility to always be looking to get better and, you know, turning that, that light on yourself when something doesn't, you know, the light goes on the people when, when they're doing the right things. And then the light goes on yourself when something's not right. You know, it's always, if they're doing good, it's because, you know, they're, they're gifted, they're, they're, they've been given the proper training and we want the spotlight to be on the people doing the work. And when something's not right, that's the hardest part of leadership. When things are going smooth, you know, like if, if you're just, you know, beating all your goals and everybody's just loving you, I mean, isn't that the easiest thing in the world to come to work and just be like, oh my God, I'm such an awesome leader. Look at what all this good stuff that's going on. Like anybody could step into that role when everything's going good, but man, oh man, a pandemic hits, uh, there's a downturn in the economy, all of a sudden nobody's spending any money. Uh, those are those are some challenging times to uh, try and keep the the spirits up at the office, I would say. Oh, what's what's your experience? Um, yeah, I struggle with that. I mean, I, there, there's no doubt about it. I mean, I, I've... I've you know, I, I am a, I, I have fallen victim to, you know, the, the depression, uh, the anxiety, uh, the negativity, uh, you know, and yeah, there's no doubt. I mean, I, I would not consider myself, you know, the epitome of great leadership during these times. I mean, I've done the best that I can, but I'm human. Um, and these are struggles for me every single day. It's like, I, I try to keep a great face, but I also believe that there's gotta be, you, you've gotta be honest. And you, you know, I, I think if you, you know, I, you know, I always question people that are always very optimistic and very happy. <laughs> uh, you know, I think maybe that's the pessimist or the realist in me. Um, and I think over the last couple of years, I've just given way to not having such a shell um, and just letting me be, you know, who I am, which may not be, the best leadership traits, you know, because I, I think there are probably some responsibilities that I'm not able to uphold. Um, but also trying to fight who I am naturally, um, you know, has, you know, it, it, that also has, uh, you know, that has challenges. And so, it, you know, yeah, this is, it's, it's been a struggle to try to keep everybody uplifted and try to do the same thing for myself. Um, so it's, it's, been a tr it's been a tremendous test.
what what I found has helped us through this this challenge is, you know, I mean, it started it literally the framework for this was built several years ago when you know my my coach and mentor started getting me into therapy and I started dealing with some of that and then learning the the trigger signs. But also I've built up trust with our leadership team internally. So where, you know, if one of us is having a bad day, there's a safe space for us to vent or for us to, to, to do that without bringing that to the entire team and smaller companies. I mean, it's hard to do if there's only five people in the company, it's not like you can build a, a leadership team of three other people. And then there's just one person left out of the, out of the venting scenario or, right. or things like that. So this doesn't necessarily apply to everybody, but that's, as we've grown, that's what we've, we've done is that we've built this little trust. And if any one of us are having some struggles, there's a safe space where there's no judgment and that person can, you know, get that out and understand that there's other people there that have their back. And then that presents less of a challenge to the team because, you know, you do want to create a safe space and as to the, to the extent you can. And I don't know, personally, I, I couldn't imagine being in the restaurant industry right now, you know, through this, because how do you paint a rosy picture of, you know, two years where we're either going to be shut down on a regular basis, or we're going to have less than 50% of our business, you know, it's coming up on winter in Chicago. So it's not like we're going to be having outdoor seating, you know, unless somebody comes up with, you know, a parka solution, (laughs) you know, and keeping the food warm and all that good stuff. So I, I, I would struggle. I mean, I don't know if I could survive in that type of an industry. So you know, my, my suggestions here, they do kind of have a shelf life depending on the industry you're in and, and the size of your company and things like that. But this is why we do this is to, you know, share our thoughts and, and, you know, I'm right there with you. There are times where, you know, you just, you just don't see the rosy outcome and you're struggling with the depression and with the anxiety that come with owning a business or being a leader. And, it, it's it to me it's vital for our own survival and mental health that we have these little networks of people that we can call and just say hey i'm having a bad day i'm having a really bad day i don't want to get out of bed today um without a doubt i mean listen it's you know in the printing business it's very similar we're manufacturing we re, you know we rely on you know i mean we were 50 percent trade shows um you know, we're, we're situated right next to McCormick Place, which is the largest, you know, event venue in the country. Uh, you know, we, restaurants, retail, all of these things. I can't pretend that the business is there. It's, it's not like we're working, you know, again, and maybe in an IT infrastructure where you're always trying to improve the network or improve the software and that there are things to do for your existing clients and to make it better. We either have printing or we don't have printing. There's, there's no hiding that. Um, so, you know, if, if things aren't going through the press, if we're not getting those orders and, you know, we had to let staff go, um, there's no way to hide that. You know, there, there were some things that we did. We, 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 you know, we undertook a program to raise money for first responders early on in the, uh, early on in the pandemic. Um, we will do, you know, we, we've, I think we've always as an organization, been generous beyond our means in terms of donating to not-for-profits or doing things at a severely discounted rate. Um, even now in the pandemic, one probably because people do need it. Um, two, because I would just like to keep the guys busy, whether we're whether or not we're making money. Um, so we we try to we try to hide it in some ways. We try to mask it um, in ways that we can. But you know, it's you know certainly it's it's you know, those are, are, are very challenging things for, um, 
for a couple of industries where you're, you're, you just don't have that ability to mask. Yeah, and a, a great part of that is that, you know, there's a, one of my favorite books now, uh, Simon Sinek's latest book is called The Infinite Game. I've read it like four or five times now. And, and the mindset that you just described of, you know, it's not that we're trying to have the best year ever every year. Circumstances are dictating that, you know, hey, we're just trying to survive. You know, we just want to be here in 2021 and then we'll worry about profit in 2021 and we'll just kind of navigate through this. And it's, it's really about living to see the next day, the next week, the next month, the next year. And that's, that's a healthy mindset to have that, you know, like, Hey, we're not trying to, you know, cut as much staff so we can still make 20, 30, 40% margins. We're just trying to keep as many people busy and, and navigate through this. And hopefully there's a, a, you know, light at the end of the tunnel coming soon on this pandemic and, and we can start to project when things will get back to more normal. Right. I think I, it's a healthy year, mindset. Yeah, this is not a year of profit. This is a year of survival. Um, that's it. Is I will consider this a win if we see 2021 or yeah. you know, some some point in and you know live to see 2022. I mean, that's that's all we can hope for is you know, and that we, you know, and I think through that is that we maintain our integrity. Um, is you know, I think this is a this is a great measure of who and who you are as an organization. Is you know, it's when things get tough and you get desperate is when your character and your integrity is tested. And we never want to change how, you know, basically how we view those things and how we want to be perceived. And, you know, again, who we are as an organization. So making sure that we, we maintain that, that we're not cutting corners, um, that we're doing things where we're, you know, lending the same level of service and the same quality of product that we did when things were good, um, that we're doing when we're, when they're bad. Um, you know, and, and hopefully that, you know, I'm a little bit of a believer in karma. I'm not, you know, a little bit spiritual, not religious, but, you know, I think all this stuff comes around. Um, and so hopefully what we, we demonstrate now will, you know, will provide benefit in the future and that we continue to treat our guys, you know, with respect and, um, you know, that again, it's that we're, we're doing, you know, we're doing now when things are tough that we did when we were you know, when they weren't so tough. And I think that's a, a, a saying a lot of people have out there is, uh, you know, it's, it's not what you did for them, but it's how you made them feel. And that's, that's right now is, is the most important thing is, you know, if you're consistent in that, in that delivery of service and that experience, as it were, um, you know, people remember that, especially in tough times, because it's, it is so easy when, you know, I don't want to say desperate, but when you're in a challenging time, it's, it's, it's easy to say, you know, Hey, if we're in survival mode, we have to do these things. We have to cut corners. We have to, you know, do, do these types of things and to be able to stick to your core values and your principles and say, well, this is, this is more important than anything else. And we're going to figure out how to do this and still survive. People remember that because they'll, they'll know that there's a consistency of your character and that's again a sign of a good leader because it's again it's easy to lead and when you know when times are are great and you know the economy's booming and everybody's buying it's now is that now is a real test of leadership and you know let's let's talk a little bit about your business you know you you've i think it's 2015 you've right. uh, you've been in the printing and uh, you have this uh, phrase surface impact so right. talk, talk to me about, uh, tell me a little bit about your business and, and how you guys are, are helping uh, rebrand Chicago and, and everywhere else that you, you do business. Sure. So uh, 
You know, this is, we're a large format uh, digital printing company. So we, we like to say anything bigger than a business card or a brochure is pretty much our space. Uh, banners, wall murals, trade shows, exhibits, uh, posters, vehicle wraps, so on and so forth. So, you know, so the, the larger end of the, the business. We coined Surface Impact is really, you know, both my business partner, uh, Rebecca and I, uh, we worked in television for a number of years together. Uh, we come from the advertising marketing space is we approach this not as being printers or I don't think anybody grows up to want to be a printer. Um, you know, we bought the business in 2015. Uh, we really want, we, we, you know, because of our advertising marketing experience, we really want to approach this as a little bit more of an agency-esque um, kind of lens and a little bit more experiential is that it wasn't going to be so transactional. Um, you know, it wasn't going to be commodity based is, you know, how many posters and what kind of paper do you want it on is we really, as much as we could is take the opportunity where appropriate to understand what the brand, who the brand is, what they were trying to communicate, who their internal customer is, who their external customer is, and be able to weave that into the graphics. And so it may not be, it may just be in the subtleties is, you know, maybe there's a texture that we could use or a new material or a dimension that we can suggest and layer in by knowing some of these things. We don't, you know, profess to be a design shop, uh, but we do want to, we, we want to be beyond just a production facility. So Surface Impact really integrates that is, is that it's our 360 degree view of a space is what can we do just beyond the walls is can we leverage you know the ceiling the floors the doors the glass you know can we add dimension how do we how do we help take this investment that somebody's going to make and provide an roi you know or you know just sort of not only a monetary roi and you know whether you know particularly for like a retail space but a brand roi is what is that message is that message lasting is that that experience with that graphic going to impact that person that it leaves them with a lasting memory. Um, so that, that's really where surface impact evolved. Um, you know, so it's, uh, you know, again, we, we've been at it for five and a half years. Uh, and the, you know, I, I would, I would say, and it, admittedly, it's like, I don't think we have any technology that anybody else doesn't have or doesn't have access to or couldn't get. Um, for us is we really define ourselves by the customer journey is we want people to have an absolutely phenomenal experience. We think that's what's particularly unique to us. Not mere, you know, certainly we have our, our surface impact philosophy and I think we take a lot more time with our clients in terms of understanding their brand or trying to find solutions. Um, but it's really what that, that customer journey looks like is that people know that they can trust us implicitly. Um, that we have a tremendous amount of integrity, that we're never going to take advantage of a situation. We're not going to try to upsell anybody into something that they don't need. Um, but we want people to feel safe, you know, and, and I think that's, you know, particularly in, in today's environment, which is so polarizing, and I think there's so much hostility, is we want this to be a place where it's relaxing and people feel safe and they don't feel like they've got to negotiate or if the price is too high is that they can be candid with us and that we can find a way to, to work with somebody that's, that's good for us all. Um, and and I, I think that's what, that's, what makes us, that's what makes us unique is we want everybody to leave with a smile on their face is, 
you know, we realize that we may not be the right fit for everybody. We never want to lose a client, but we, we absolutely won't accept having a, you know, a client that's, you know, that's unhappy with us. That's, you know, that, that we haven't done everything we can to resolve a situation. Um, you know, that's, that's the kind of, if we're going to have a client breakup, which we've had very few of, um, you know, one where people have ever, you know, where they would ever question our integrity would, would be just entirely unacceptable to us. So um, that's not, not why we're ever going to lose a client. It may be overpriced. And, you know, I tell people at some point along the line in this relationship, there's a very good chance we're going to screw something up. It's how we react to that, how we resolve that. Um, and, you know, we're, we're very honest about that. So, um, you know, that, that, to us, that, you know, that, that's really how we've tried to establish the business and, and sort of our unique selling proposition. And I'll, I'll tell you, I mean, just, you know, from seeing the results of what you guys produce over there, um, you know, integrity matters, you know, uh, ethics matter. And that's, that's, it really, what the effort you put in results in, in the product that you get out at the other end and in, in a, in a space where, you know, things can be seen as a commodity. Um, you've really gone above and beyond to differentiate yourself by putting the effort into the relationship. And I think that's, you know, it's a credit to, again, that's leadership, but it's a credit to yourself and, and your partner in that's how you want to model the business. And, and to me, that's how you build lasting relationships. Um, you're transparent with people. If you identify something's not right, you either want to fix it or move on. Um, you know, there's a lot of lessons that can be learned from that. And I'll, I'll tell you, you guys should, if you haven't already, uh, you guys should be up for that, uh, better business bureau torch award. You should, you should throw your hat in the ring for that and use this, this interview as part of your, your submission, because the people should know, I mean, people, you know, I think by and large, people want to do business with people they know, like, and trust. And you've just exemplified why, you know, people should want to work with your organization and, and why other leaders should model themselves after the way you guys are, are approaching this. All, in my opinion, all businesses should operate under that ethical guidelines. We know, you know, especially living in Chicago, that that doesn't always happen. <laughs> we well, have know, a we've made it very easy for us, quite honestly. It's like we, we've cheated is, you know, we, with, without sounding crude, my business partner and I very early on coming from the television space where uh, you had media buyers that, you know, we're, we're tough and they, they, they treated the salespeople, I think in, in certainly in a way that I didn't want to be treated when I was in sales and, you know, that I would never accept as, you know, if I was the leader of, of, you know, some of these organizations that I would have ever let my media buyers treat people is we immediately established a no assholes policy. Um, we don't work with difficult people is if somebody exhibits behavior where they treat us you know, in, in any manner that we are not comfortable with, if they're, you know, it just abusive to us or abusive to our team, or they just prove themselves to be unreasonably difficult, we stop the relationship. I mean, in, in one week, both my business and partner and I got, had two inquiries where we could, you know, we asked a lot of questions and it may seem sort of senseless to some people. It's like, they just want a price, but we really, again, we want to understand what the application is going to be. And so we may ask a few more questions so we get it right. And that way we're not redoing something or, and really to save the client money is that, you know, if they, a lot of people don't know what they're asking for. So we, we, we take that extra time to ask a few extra questions instead of producing like, well, this is what you asked for. Um, 
you know, I know it's not what you wanted, but you know, you didn't want to answer my questions is, you know, and, and we, we had two people in the course of a week, each of us had one that really, that sort of took issue with it and treated us as, you know, just in, in a very disrespectful manner and said, you know, hey, listen, I, I don't think this is a great fit. And let me suggest here are three other printers in the market that you, you know, it, it may be, just be a better fit. Um, so we cheated is we don't, we don't have difficult clients because we weed them out right away. So it's very easy for us. Um, <laughs> you know, quite honestly, it's, it's, it's a very, it's a, it's a very, you know, it's, it's very easy for us to, to have good relationships. Well, I'm sure that, that helps, that, that helps. Yeah. That helps with your culture too, because I, I got to figure the employees feel protected by that, that they're not going to get into a space where, you're just trying to get business for the sake of business and then somebody's going to abuse them or they're going to have unrealistic deadlines all the time. And, you know, being asked to perform miracles because, you know, you sold something for 20% of what it was worth. And now we got to move mountains to get that done. So that, I mean, that's, that's another way, you know, uh, leaders can create safe spaces for their, their, their team, you know, by having those ground rules. And you might say it's cheating and cutting corners, but I think that's, that's a bedrock of, of your your ethical decisions your integrity so kudos to you for you know it's it's it sounds easy but i'll tell you again especially in a, a challenging time like a pandemic that could be one of the first challenges you face is you know well maybe we take this business this one time just because you know we want to keep the doors open another day and again that's the strength of character being tested it, it's never worth it and you know for for us i mean the, the you know, among the reasons that we have our own businesses, we wanted to enjoy coming in every day. Um, and our clients are our lifeblood. And if we don't enjoy working with our clients, if you have one bad client that turns your day, it's going to impact the clients that you like and that you value. Um, so we, ne we need to eliminate any of those distractions. And so it's never going to be worth it. There, there's just, you know, sure. I mean, there, there are times that it's, it had been very tempting, particularly at the beginning, um, to take those clients on. It's like, you know, we need to get the money. We, you know, it's, you know, it's a fantastic hit. It's not worth it. It's a distraction and it will impact other, other aspects of your business. Um, that it just, I, I, I don't know what the dollar amount is. It's like, you know, I'm going to endure this stuff. Um, yeah. and hopefully, you know, I, and you know, something I wouldn't say that we're beyond a dollar amount, but boy, it's <laughs> really big. Um, I'd like to think that we're not, but you know, listen, we're all human, and you know, I think you know, maybe, you know, I, I think we've had enough temptation and we've been able to resist. But um, you know, I, I don't know what it would be, um, and hopefully, I'm, you know, I don't know. Some, uh, I say, hopefully, I'm never tempted. I don't know. Maybe <laughs> I would be a little bit more tempted. Well, we'll we'll have to have you back on the show in a year and <laughs> say, we'll, we'll how, did, how did that go? Did you figure your number out? <laughs> Well, Eric, I really appreciate the time. This was, you know, it's, again, it's always great to talk to you. Um, I know we could, we could probably spend another couple hours because we barely scratched the surface on some of the things. So hopefully you'll come back uh, for a future episode. And um, I always like to give uh, opportunity, you know, to give out your contact information because I'm sure there's, you know, people listening that would want to get in touch with you either to talk more about leadership or maybe they've got some projects that they would uh, want to have your input on. How can people get a hold of you? 
Sure. Um, easiest way is to, uh, you wanted to email me, which is eric, E-R-I-C dot Lazar, L-A-Z-A-R at speedpro, as in fastandprofessional.com. Uh, and the phone number of the office is 312-846-1441. And people can always just go to our website, speedprochicagoloop.com. Uh, and track me down. I'm available on LinkedIn. I accept all friendships on Facebook. Um, so you know, I, I, I welcome anybody who wants to contact me, and I'm always happy to chat about this. And uh, you know, hopefully, with the benefit of, of me picking up uh, picking up some nuggets and, and finding you know an additional mentor that, that that I can reach out to. And it's it's fairly obvious by our conversation here that you do accept all requests because that's you know we're connected. So <laughs> <laughs> you 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 take everybody and anybody. So <laughs> no, no matter how damaged they are. <laughs> The bar's not all that high, brother. <laughs> it's it's really not. It's really not. <laughs> well, again, thank you for for being on. Uh, I always appreciate your 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 transparency, your feedback, your wisdom. Uh, I hope you've had uh, an enjoyable experience here, and uh, we look forward to talking to you in the near future. This was awesome. Thank you for the opportunity. All my pleasure. All right. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen, for your time and attention again today. Uh, please be careful out there on your leadership journey. We hope we've uh, given you a few nuggets to think about. And as always, we will see you next week with another fascinating guest. Be well and take care of yourselves. Oh, thank you.